I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. tell me what that is because i forgot what it was <laughs> <laughs> um it has a very very familiar um melody in there and i'm trying to think i'm pretty sure it's one of the original series movies i'm trying to think i want to say wrath of khan but i'm not a hundred percent positive on that um so here's the situation um (laughs) we were gonna record this episode like three weeks ago and stuff came up and so we had to uh, delay it until today and so i had that music clip um prepared three weeks ago and i don't remember which movie it's from (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is from one of the original series. I think it's from either The Wrath of Khan or Search for Spock. I'm pretty sure it's from Wrath of Khan, though. Mm. Yeah, there was just that that one melody in there at the end um, is definitely very, very familiar. Um, okay, well, let's just say that it's from Wrath of Khan. <laughs> um <laughs> I feel really embarrassed about that. But um, I realized right before we started recording, like, oh, crap, I forgot what the music's from. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so good job. You you got it right away. Yay. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to this week's episode of Tribbles and Transporters. Um, If you haven't noticed yet, we have started a new trend for 2020 we're doing some new stuff um as aaron posted on our social media we are doing weekly episodes now and our main reason for doing that was we just felt like there was way too much star trek content to cover in bi-weekly episodes it just felt like it was too long between um episodes we were just going to take forever to get through things so we decided to um switch things up a little bit and we are bringing a little bit more structure to how we do things so each week we're going to be focusing on a different series of star trek so you might be wondering why we are starting with the visitor for ds9 instead of going back to the beginning i know most podcasts will start from the pilot episode of the series and then continue on from there until they finish the series but once again there's so many series and usually those podcasts that do that focus on one series so it's Mm. really easy for them to do that we are kind of all things star trek we don't want to focus on just one particular part of star trek so in order to include everything 
you know, it's going to take us a while to kind of cycle through the different series and so forth. And if we do start from the pilot and work our way, you know, from beginning to end, it's going to take for it's going to take like 10 years to get through <laughs> all of Star Trek, which yeah. is mind boggling. So we decided to take a different approach. Um, instead of getting bogged down into in like season one of, of TNG, which nobody wants that. Um, <laughs> we decided to uh, kind of turn it, t- kind of gamify it a little bit. So mm. Aaron has come up with a way for us um, to pick which episodes and which topics we are going to do. Yes. So I do have a randomizing app and uh, we will be using that to choose uh, the next episode that we will be watching and discussing. discussing. Um, Now we will be continuing the order of the series from original series on through to Enterprise. But within that structure, um, we will use the randomizer to choose what season the episode will come from and then what's episode within that season we will be talking about in the next uh, podcast episode the a couple exceptions to that obviously we started with the cage for original series um and then we wanted to do the tng trivia because we had already done original series trivia so we jumped right in with that and then with uh, Deep Space Nine, we chose The Visitor uh, because we had it as a suggestion from one of our listeners. Uh, so over on our Twitter page, um, we've been uh, talking back and forth with uh, Michael, and he suggested some episodes for us. So um Sarah and I find it really easy to come up with TNG episodes that we want to watch. Uh, For Sarah, I come up with Voyager ones. Um, But Michael suggested three Deep Space Nine episodes for us. Um, And he said that uh, you asked for suggestions for episodes to watch. So I thought of three Deep Space Nine episodes, which he says is his favorite series just ahead of TNG. So um, he suggests uh, Trials and Tribulations, which, of course, we uh, already did a episode on. Uh, The Visitor, which is, uh, he says, is deeply moving. And Far Beyond the Stars, which is uh, social, political, and very different. Um, So we chose to do The Visitor, uh, largely because it is... um, often listed among the best Deep Space Nine episodes. It has a very high rating um, among viewers. So we chose to do that and uh, hope that uh, we get some good discussion from it. So what we're going to do is Aaron is going to give a brief synopsis of The Visitor for us. And then we are going to do our traditional quizzing each other on the episode. All right, so we've, I found this synopsis over on IMDb, uh, and it says that Jake Sisko, now an old man, is living alone in a house in a bayou. He gets an unexpected visit from Melanie. She's an ex- aspiring writer and considers Jake as her favorite author. She was surprised he published only two works. At the age of 40, Jake simply stopped writing, and Melanie wants to know why. Jake starts telling her the story of how his father died in an accident on the Defiant. Benjamin and Jake went to see the wormhole undergo a subspace inversion that only happens once in several decades. 
Something was wrong, however, and the warp core was about to breach. After repairing it, Sisko was hit by a beam and disappeared. Few months later, things were returning to normal for Jake, but suddenly he saw his father in his bedroom, only to disappear a moment later. But this wasn't the only time his father reappeared. And then the episode goes on to uh, follow Jake as he encounters his father um, several more times, discovers that he's basically stuck in a, uh, a subspace bubble um, where he's not experiencing the passage of time, but everyone else is. And then he, um, you know, goes through lots of uh, study and work to try and uh, figure out how to uh, rescue his father. It is time to see just how well each one of us was paying attention in this episode <laughs> or to this episode. And guys, we have a very special treat for you. We have some brand new quiz theme music. Here it is. I want to come up with like some lyrics for that and like just sing along with it. <laughs> I always want to at the end say something like, and tell us what they've won. Yeah. <laughs> Go into like game show host mode. <laughs> I'm going to talk myself into a corner here. I think I was paying a lot better attention <laughs> than I usually do this time. So um, I'm going for a perfect five of five. So we'll, we'll right. see. All right, so I'm going to start out by asking Erin her questions, and then she'll ask uh, me mine. Question number one is, which hollow suite did Nog reserve for him and Jake? I didn't write that down, but I'm pretty sure it was three. Okay. See, this is how this is going to go. Um, <laughs> you're not going to write stuff down and still get the answers right. Okay. Okay, question number two. What does Jake cook for Nog? I think it was blackened redfish. Oh my gosh. Did you write that down? No. Oh my. <laughs> but I remember thinking, hmm, that sounds yummy. Although I'm not a, a spicy person and blackened usually means spicy. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, this is, <laughs> this is going very interestingly here so far. Okay, um, let me see if I can trip you up with this one. All on, right. on what deck it, of the Defiant is engineering located? Ooh. Um, I know the Defiant is a smaller ship. Something is making me say four, but I don't think that's right. How do you do you know how many decks the Defiant has? No. <laughs> I know it's not as many as um, most of the rest of the ships we see in Star Trek series, but uh, yeah, I know it's I didn't even know it had decks. Not... <laughs> yeah, it looks very small from the outside, and I have to remind myself that it's not as small. Like, it almost looks sometimes like a shuttlecraft, and I have to mm -hmm. remind myself that, no, it's it's way bigger than a shuttlecraft. Well, see, that's how I think about it, is a shuttlecraft which doesn't have decks. And yeah. so that's why I thought it was all just one level for some reason. Mm. Um, but then I, you know, with this question, I looked it up and 
Um, there are four decks total on the Defiant. Uh, okay. Engineering is located on deck two, though. Okay. Now, Interesting. you're probably thinking, how do I know that <laughs> from this episode? Um, <laughs> there is a very, very brief um, glimpse of the door to engineering when Jake ah, enters it. And it has okay. a very clear two on it for deck two. So, Very cool. I did not notice that. What type of surfing did Nog and Jake do on the hollow suite? Again, something else I didn't write down. See, you are yep, catching you're, things you're gonna that get I am it. You're not gonna get it anyway. paying attention to. <laughs> oh, what was it? Um, was it ion surfing? it! You're. Well, how are you getting all of this stuff? <laughs> I I don't know. I was trying to like something made me want to say solar, but then I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> this is the third one you haven't written down, and you've gotten it right. i i am that person though that just has random little tidbits of information stuck in my brain and they pop out at weird times so Uh uh-huh um so i have like four more questions here but three of them are way too easy you're gonna if you got these you're gonna get those like in like half a second so all right so i'm gonna go with my what I think is the better alternative here. Okay. Okay. Um, question number five. What does Quark tell Nog to bring up from the storeroom? Oh, um, it's kegs of something, and I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was some kind of ale, but I I can't get more specific than that. It's uh, to, to carry in mead. Oh, okay. So not ale at all. <laughs> I actually had to um, turn on the subtitles to figure out what he was saying because it, it sounded okay, yeah. like something different. I, I thought he was saying, it sounded like meat, you know, and then I was like, oh. what <laughs> in the world? That's not in the kegs, obviously. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I had the Takarian thing also wrong because it sounded like he was saying something else. But um, anyway. Okay. Well, you got you got oh. three out of five. And that was without taking notes. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, apparently I was paying way too much attention to um, other details and not to the same kind of ones that you do, which... Like uh, the science-y stuff? Said, yeah, uh, yeah, some of it and and things like that. Um, Some of this stuff, like I was writing down how many years between appearances of, of Cisco and stuff and... I was like, just because I'm not good at numbers, and if she asks me one of those, I need numbers written down. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I no, I wrote them down, and I I was not going to ask them as questions, but I was just just afraid that you were. <laughs> um, and just so everyone knows, if you do hear some strange sounds, we have been joined by our furry co-host, James Tiberius Cat, who, uh, as always, likes to um, rub up against my microphone. And right now he's kind of going back and forth trying to sit on my notebook, which is, of course, not very helpful um, <laughs> when I'm about to try and ask Sarah the questions I've written down. <laughs> <laughs> Ty. <laughs> yeah, he is just uh, an attention hog sometimes. 
Okay, so those were Sarah's questions for me. Now we'll move on to my questions for Sarah. So first question. Uh, when Jake was talking to Melanie, um, she asks him why he stopped writing and he gives her a uh, joking answer. What was that answer? Uh, because he lost his favorite pen. That is correct. So, um, let's see. Uh, along those sorts of lines, again, in a conversation between Jake and Melanie, uh, he picks up on a quality she has and says that it's a, a good trait for a writer. What was that? Um, he says that listening is a good trait for a writer. Yes, that is correct. She is a good listener. All right. Um, now getting into something that's a little bit more of a, a detail, I guess. Um, okay. These, these are the ones I don't do not... well on. <laughs> uh, you might get this one. Okay. Um, when Nog comes to visit Jake and his wife, what are they celebrating? He won something. <laughs> you know, I almost asked you this question and I yeah. should have written it down. Um, oh no. <laughs> starts with a B. It does. It's actually in one of the sound clips that we're going to be playing today. Um, oh, there you go. And I, I heard it like four times <laughs> in this episode because <laughs> I had to go back and record the sound clips. I feel like it's on the tip of my tongue but not not really mm. um uh i just know it starts with a b but that's um i can't think of the word though something prize so yeah yes it was the betar prize um okay. which he won for his collection of short stories okay i would not have guessed that you did know that it started with a b though so that was our third question um and it brought up uh jake's wife uh, what was her name? Thank you. I knew you were, you were about to ask me that. It, um, <laughs> it starts with a K. <laughs> it does. Or possibly a C. I don't know. I didn't see it written out. No, because I actually read it on the subtitles like twice. Okay. Um, I still can't think of the name. Um, something like Corrine or something? Yes. Um, now, I, I was going to take either Corrine or Corinna because there were there were two places that I really picked up on him saying her name. And the first time it sounds like Corinna and the second time it sounds like Corrine. Well, you know what? Let's just check it out really quickly um, <laughs> and see what it actually is. On IMDb, it is Corinna. K-O-R-E-N-A. Okay. Well, that doesn't really count because that's that's not what I said, so. I think it's close enough because, like I say, in one scene it does sound like he says Kareen. All right, so that was question number four. Um, for our last question, when we see Jake and the um, our familiar DS9 characters um, many, many years later and they've pulled the Defiant out of mothballs, what does Dax say were about the only things still working on it? The uh, replicators. That is correct. So we have a lovely tie. 
All right. Well, that's acceptable <laughs> to me, I guess. The answers that you knew, you knew definitively. So mm-hmm. that's good. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the uh, discussion. For this one, we are just going to start right from the beginning. And basically, um, they kind of throw us off here because they start in the future where Jake Sisko is, I don't know how old he is. They never say, do they? How old he is in this? I don't think so, no. He's really old, but Sisko later implies in the episode that he still has a lot of years left to live. So in the Star Trek universe, they live to be like 120, usually. Like, that's old age. 120 or even 130, I think. And so... I'm thinking that Jake was probably in his 80s or 90s, maybe, in this. That's kind of what I was leaning towards as well. Yeah. So we open the episode in as Jake is like this old man, and he's in his home in Louisiana. But we don't know this right away. We just see this old guy that we don't recognize. I had assumed, I think with the baseball and everything, they were kind of throwing us off that we were supposed to think it was Benjamin Zesko. Hmm. Okay. That could be. And that we did see a picture of the two of them also yes. by the baseball. So that so implied it, it was one could... of them, probably. Yeah. I think you're right, though. I think most people would probably go to Ben Sisko, though. And I think that's just because he was more of a um, consistently recurring character. So this girl, Melanie, basically shows up at his door, and you saw how quickly he just invited her in without question. This was an issue that I had in this whole episode, was just how quickly these two bonded over a few hours during the night. First of all, if you're a famous writer, how would you feel about some stranger (laughs) just showing up at your house and trying to get inside? Yeah, My only... um thing with it is you know I I guess we're supposed to feel like human society has progressed past this whole idea of celebrity and and putting people you know on pedestals and stuff you know not to the extent that we sometimes do today um and so you know I guess people are supposed to have um more you know pure motives and things and and people are able to be more trusting and and all of that so yeah it it doesn't make logical sense it just came across to me as a bit stalkery of her yeah you know because she's (laughs) she's um a fan of his which is fine but as the episode goes on she reveals more and more about how you know how she studied all of his stuff and then she shows up at his house, you know, uninvited, you know, knocks at the door and it just hopes that he, you know, lets her in. You know, I don't know what she was planning on getting out of her visit to him, but um, I don't know. It just felt kind of strange to me the way that whole thing unfolded. Um, I think yeah. I would have preferred that they at least knew each other before. Yeah. Because I don't know, maybe he needed a stranger to ask him all of these questions to get because that's what Melanie was really there for was to help them get through the story of the episode. Yeah. To to me, it would be it would have been a little bit more believable if it was at least an arranged meeting. Like, 
she had requested uh, to come and meet with him. And, you know, maybe he said, well, maybe not tonight or, or whatever. And then she shows up anyway or something like that. But uh, yeah, it, it did seem a little odd that they, they just very quickly went from, okay, there's someone I don't know standing outside my door in the rain to here, have a cup of tea and sit by the fire and let me tell you my life story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just opened up really quickly to her and, and started you know, talking about his childhood and, you know, his relationship with his father and he doesn't know yeah. her at all. I, I wish that she had just been like his apprentice or something this whole episode. Yeah, I think they tried to make a little bit of a nod to this being an unusual situation where Jake says, you know, if you had come here and asked me that question on any other night, I would have just, you know, sent you politely on your way. But tonight of all nights, you know, I think I, I will tell you my story. Oh, yeah. By the way, I'm going to die tonight and you might witness it. Um <laughs> Yeah. Like, that makes even less um, sense, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very um it's just an odd situation. But like, if, you know, if they I, had if they had made her his apprentice, like if they had been working together for a yeah. year or two or something like that, and she was there to kind of like help like read over his work and help him edit it or, you know, whatever he needed help with, then you would have had that emotional connection that they could have opened up to. Maybe he has hidden his story from her and he's now revealing mm. more of himself. And then they would have had that emotional connection when he's yeah. he revealed that he was going to kill himself, basically. Then that would have been a more powerful reaction from her. Yeah. So we're getting ahead of ourselves in this episode, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking that I feel like that they could have just handled the whole thing a little bit better about how they introduced Melanie and, and her relationship with Jake. Yeah. It could have been like, he called her out suddenly to, to come over and, you know, she shows up like, what, you know, what's so urgent and, and all this sort of thing. And he's, you know, could say, well, I, I need to tell you, you know, the, the real story of, of why I stopped writing or something like that. Um, yeah, because I'm going to hand yeah, this over to you now and let you deal with the publishing of it yeah, after I die. Exactly. Jake starts telling Melanie his life story, and he starts from the beginning, where he goes back to the, when he's 18 years old, and they go back to the Defiant. Basically, he's in the, he's in the middle of writing a short story, and he's just been burying his head in this short story for weeks. Uh, Captain Cisco wants... Jake to basically take a break from it. And so I guess, what is it? The the wormhole is going through an inversion? Is that what he's trying to yes. get Jake to watch? And it only happens like every 50 years? Yes, exactly. So it's one of those things where, you know, chances are if you live to the, you know, 120 or whatever age, then you you have two chances in your life to, to see this happen. It's something interesting. They, they mentioned that it's this big spectacular thing. I kind of wish we had gotten to see it. They do show the wormhole doing something, but it just kind of shoots out this this wave that, you know, disrupts the defiant, but it, it stays looking the same as the wormhole that we typically see. Do you think it would have just like turned back in on itself? Like we would just see a black space or something. I have no or... idea. I thought 
this inter- this this uh the scene was interesting with uh Jake and his pad. Mm. Jake is um finicky with his writing. We see him <laughs> in well in this episode we see him working with pen and paper and yes for the majority of it. And th- I know there was another episode that I have seen of Deep Space 9 where he wrote an entire novel on just like blank white paper. Yeah. But uh, he then he also uses a pad as well. And in this, at the beginning of this episode, he was using a pad to write his short story. He had a stylus that he was using that had some very strange looking plastic on the end of it. And um, <laughs> he was like, f- like handwriting on the screen, but he was writing on top of the type text. Yeah, it was very weird. Like he would take the stylus and almost like scan a sentence or something and then he would start writing below the already like not in the text box but almost like on a a separate square at the bottom almost like you had to write within this touchpad part and then it would put it at the end of the text i don't know where he was writing though he had there was actually like buttons and text like he was writing on top of that yeah and then when he was doing the scan thing that, that you were talking about you actually hear a sound effect of mm-hmm. the scan on the pad but yeah. nothing's happening on the screen it's just like nothing's moving right. on the screen at all yeah i almost wondered if they were imagining that was almost like him selecting the sentence like he was going to you know rewrite that sentence or something yeah sometimes it's really interesting to analyze how the actors are interacting with these representations of futuristic technology well he because they could get away with stuff like that in the 90s because they didn't have touch screens yet they didn't have ipads or tablets that had pens that you could write on so they were making this stuff up so i think they thought well we'll just pretend like we're writing on this and it doesn't matter what we're writing on top (laughs) of um nobody's gonna know any better basically yeah um so it's interesting going back and watching that in 2020 and going, wait a second, that's probably not how that works, you know? Um, unless this is some <laughs> mysterious 24th century technology and we just don't understand, you know, how it's working. Yeah, so, it is very interesting. Jake is furiously working on his short story and Cisco gets him to take a break from it to go look at the wormhole and the Defiant gets jolted by uh, something coming from the wormhole. Um, some grab was it like some gravimetric something or other? Yeah, I think so. The wormhole inversion goes haywire. Something is is wrong. I don't understand how all of this works. <laughs> it starts affecting the warp drive of the Defiant somehow. Like there's extra energy or something, and Cisco has to use the um, something to uh he st- he sticks it into the warp drive something or other <laughs> this yeah. is sounding very intelligent <laughs> here um it, that basically is going to channel the energy through the deflector dish of the ship yes um and out from the warp drive so it doesn't blow them up basically and then he gets zapped by this energy when it happens now jake has followed him into engineering at this point and so he's there helping him and mm-hmm. uh, apparently there's like some energy that comes from the warp core into Cisco, passes through Cisco and through this instrument that he is handing over to Jake. And so Jake grabs it as well. And they're both holding on to it. And that jolt bolt or some, whatever it is uh, ends up going through both of them and makes Cisco disappear. 
into a subspace bubble, as you said at the beginning. I was very confused by all of this. And before we started recording, Aaron explained <laughs> to me that there was something that actually came out of the warp core and hit Cisco. But I yeah. didn't catch that at all in this. I just thought that he got zapped by the um, instrument that he was holding. And mm. so I was like, how the heck is this this happening? What What the heck is going on? Uh, I still don't understand how it affected him and not Jake. Yeah, like why did both of them not disappear? I think it's implied because it it kind of got dampened by passing through the the instrument that they were both holding, and when the initial jolt happened, um, you know, Jake's gets blown backwards, and so the the connection between him and um, this energy was was more brief, I guess. So that's the understanding I took away from it. All right. So um, Cisco disappears and then everybody basically considers him dead. Uh, Mm. They don't understand what happened to him. And so they hold a memorial service on Deep Space Nine for him. Um, There are literally literally like 300 extras um, at this memorial service. And I'm just just thinking, oh, my gosh, like that – it the the scene lasts for maybe 15 seconds mm. and they went through all of all, all the trouble to hire that many extras just for that very brief scene <laughs> and then mm-hmm. deck him out in these costumes like that is a big deal think of all the, the costumes the makeup the hairstyling you know getting everybody situated around the the set and yeah, that it, it was quite involved. So they have this memorial service. Then Jake kind of just talks about how he had to move on with his life and deal with not having his father around. And everybody on the station is basically trying to take him under their wing and take care of him and fill in that caretaker role that Benjamin Sisko had. Mm. This was a particularly touching moment in the the episode that I liked was when Quark stopped being Quark and actually became mm-hmm. a sympathetic being. Um, mm-hmm. Nog had come, Nog was working a shift at Quark's bar and he approached Jake all excited because they were going to go onto the hollow suite and have some fun for a change because Jake was just kind of sitting there sulking. Yeah. I just love that about Quark's character. I can't remember if we talked about that just in a general conversation or if it was in a recording where we talked about how Quark tries to be the perfect Ferengi, but he really has more of a heart than that. And he it really shows uh, in moments like that. You know, I, I like the, the very different tone of voice when he comes back to speak to them. And you can tell that even though he's Quark and he's concerned about the bar, first of all, he is concerned about Jake as well. Jake, they, Jake and Nog finish their Hollow Sweet adventure. We don't see it, but they talk about it. The ion surfing. Jake is asleep that night, and all of a sudden, he wakes up. He's tossing and turning, and he wakes up and he sees his father appear, and then he disappears again. So he's only there for a few mm. seconds. And that begins our kind of mystery segment of this episode is what the heck is going on with Benjamin Sisko? Why is he appearing and disappearing like that? Jake 
tells Melanie that he had asked Dax to scan his quarters for anything strange. They couldn't come up with anything, and uh, he just dismissed it as a dream, basically. Yeah, I like where he, you know, says that uh, he felt like a, a little kid asking his parent to to check under the bed for monsters and things. Well, it just kind of shows the um, the relationship he had with everybody else on the station and how they kind of treated him like their child in a way. And he kind yeah. of relied on them as a parent role model in a way as well. Mm. I have a question, though, about this. Jake has... This is like eight or nine months now since Cisco has quote unquote died. Right. And Jake is still on Deep Space Nine. He's just kind of hanging mm-hmm. out. This might go back a little bit to our like Trekonomics episode, but I'm just wondering, do you just get to live wherever you want to without <laughs> like having a job or anything? Um, That would probably be up to the circumstance i get the feeling that a lot of the um civilians normally living on the station you know you have garrick who runs his tailor shop and things like that i have a a feeling like whether he pays rent or has a contract for the space and and quarters i'm not sure um but uh i almost got the feeling that Jake is probably still living in his old quarters that he had with his dad. And that was probably a a special case where, you know, nobody had the heart to, to uh, send him off somewhere. Which brings me to another question that I just thought of. Um, Obviously Hmm. Starfleet felt that there needed to be a Starfleet captain on Deep Space Nine. So what happened after Cisco died? Um, Well, we do see Kira and Worf together um, at, some point so whether Worf was moved up into that role or whether at that point um since starfleet had worked with kira enough they allowed her to move up into the commander spot and then had you know Worf and dax kind of working with her as the the starfleet personnel i don't think we're told implicitly or explicitly, I guess, um, what the situation is there. But I get the feeling that Kira is in charge. Well, she did have a conversation with him, and Jake decided to stay on Deep Space Nine, and Kira did come to him and say that she wanted him to leave, Mm. as if she was in charge of the station. Yeah, she basically says, you know, I could order you to leave, you know, if if I have to. but then she ends up getting Jake to promise that uh, if she says, you know, it's it's time for you to go to be safe somewhere else, that he would um, without question. Um, and so in, in that instance, she allows him to, to stay and, and make that decision himself. And that scene right there, I think, was one of the more interesting ones for me, just visually, mm. because... Um, you see Kira and Jake basically silhouetted against the starfield, and they didn't have yeah. a light on in the room at all. And so I just thought, you know, cinematically, it was um, it was kind of a really beautiful shot, and it complemented mm. the tone of the scene as well because uh, Kira was basically being a mother figure to him at that time. Yeah. And they were having kind of a, I don't know if intimate moment is the right word, but along those lines. 
yeah, it, it's an emotional moment. It's like a heart to heart kind yeah. of moment. And, uh, you know, I, I loved that scene as well. Um, and I don't think it would have worked as well if it was in just a normally lit room. I think the, the fact that you were seeing these two characters in just profile, almost full silhouette, and you're, you get a little bit of their reflection in the window, it just makes you really pay attention to what they're saying because you can't see much facial expression. And, and yet their body language and everything communicated that emotion as well. So I, I just, that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode. So here's the other thing about this that was confusing me in the episode. <laughs> Where the heck did this storyline with the Klingons come from? That's what I wondered too, was, I mean, the threat would have to be pretty strong for the Bajorans to reach out to the Cardassians, you know. But aren't, uh, but aren't so, the Klingons allies? Like, what the heck is going on? Well, there were definite times in Deep Space Nine, if I'm remembering correctly, where there was a little bit of unrest between the Federation and the Klingons. Not, you know, open hostility, but they weren't truly friendly either. Yeah, I I am not well versed enough in the continuity of the the whole story arcs to know where this episode falls in that whole relationship. But yeah, it it just seemed really odd to me that it's like, oh yeah, you know, Bejor's having issues because Cisco disappeared and they had relied on him so much. So, yeah, the Klingons just decided that they were going to be really aggressive and throw their weight around, and the Bajorans got scared, so they asked the Cardassians to keep them safe, and, you know, basically Starfleet was just kind of along for the ride. Well, and Starfleet ended up turning over Deep Space Nine to the Klingons. That, like, that's not a yeah. small thing. And, and that's what I thought. I mean, it must have been as some sort of safety bargaining chip i mean a big one because if anything you'd think they'd turn it back over to the bajorans and then since the bajorans are connected with the the cardassians then you know it would become maybe a joint station between them but yeah turning it over to the klingons and then the bajorans i guess just go okay yeah well we'll just let you have you know, our portion of the control of the station. Oh, yeah. And that celestial temple that we consider so important, you have control of that, too. Um, it seems weird. Do you think it was like an alternate timeline thing? Yeah, it ends up being that way, you know, spoiler for the end of the episode, but everything gets put back to right. Well, I don't know about that. They didn't show that. It's implied, I think, in the fact that, you know, Jake has no idea... When Cisco is finally freed, he remembers all the stuff that went on, but Jake clearly has no idea what he's talking about and why he's so, you know, relieved to be back. And, you know, what do you mean back? You weren't gone. So um, to me, that implies that that whole period of however many years never actually happened. I don't know. It just comes from out of nowhere. Unless the previous episodes yeah. to The Visitor had some escalating tensions with the Klingons in them that we don't know about. Yes. Um, so anyway, 
as Jake is hanging out on Deep Space Nine now. He's one of the few people left, I guess, other than the Starfleet officers. And he's walking through the corridor, and all of a sudden, he sees his dad again. And he gets taken to sick bay. This time his dad sticks around for a little bit longer, long enough for them to kind of analyze the situation. And Cisco starts to disappear again. This was probably one of the most emotional uh, scenes in the episode because to me it had vibes of you like being in the ER watching one of mm. your relatives like redline or flatline, sorry, and yeah. just sitting there helpless and not being able to do anything. You know, it had that yeah. sort of tone to it. And then watching Sirak have to go through the emotions of that as an actor, it was a really moving scene for me. Yeah, again, something that, you know, you, you don't necessarily get moments of that deep emotion in a lot of Star Trek episodes. And it really shone in this episode. So um, Cisco has disappeared once again. They have some idea, though, about what's going on with him, but they don't know how to quite get him back yet. However, the Klingons rear their ugly heads again, and uh, now they are a bigger threat, and Jake is forced to leave Deep Space Nine. And he ends up going back to Earth and going to the Pennington School, where he gets a degree in writing. And he settles down in Louisiana near his grandfather. And uh, then he meets Karina. They get married. Nog comes for a visit. This was interesting seeing Nog as he's a commander now. Mm -hmm. And they actually made him up to look older as a Ferengi. So he looks, you know, like 20 years have passed. He actually is, he does a really good job acting older as well. You can hear it in his yeah. voice and everything, too. Uh, the only very strange thing about this to me was that he was wearing a TNG uniform, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, the only thing I, I keep going back to, it seems to me there was this idea that that, that was like a shipboard uniform and the deep space nine style uniform was supposed to be a station one but they they never stick to that and then of course they eventually go to everybody's wearing the um mostly black with the colored shoulders so yeah it it is a little strange that uh he is in that uh uniform instead of um the the ones that we're used to seeing on deep space nine well you know this episode aired in october of 1995 and Voyager um, premiered in January of 95. Mm -hmm. And everybody on that ship is wearing the DS9 uh, uniforms. That is a very good point. So, yeah, like I say, I, I don't know why that sticks out to me as an idea. Um, maybe it's something I came up with. I don't know. <laughs> it's your head cannon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I it did stick out to me like, oh. Why is he wearing that uniform? And we know, we don't get an explanation for it, obviously. Um, and then later we see, of course, the the very different futuristic uniforms. So yeah, it's it just sort of is left out there as a thing. 
<laughs> yeah, very strange. Uh, because even in generations that had happened a year prior, um, some of them were still wearing those uniforms, but half the ship had transitioned over to the DS9 uniforms. So that's clearly the that was the future of of Starfleet, and um, this is supposed to be set like thirty years later, or not thirty, yeah. <laughs> however many years later, and he's still in the TNG uniform. So whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, Nog then leaves, and uh, Jake and his wife are there alone at night, um, getting ready to head to bed, and all of a sudden, uh, Jake sees his father again appear out of nowhere and mm -hmm. he gets to introduce um, his father to his wife. And so that basically sparks Jake's interest in um, science. He turns away from writing and becomes obsessed with figuring out, figuring out how to get his father back. Mm. And um, he basically goes back to school, gets a graduate degree in subspace mechanics and makes it his uh, life's mission from there on out to get his father back. He basically enlists Nog's help. Nog then gets the help of uh, Bashir and Dax and everybody else and they... Uh, basically resurrect the Defiant from the mothballs, as they say, <laughs> to uh, try and figure out how to get uh, Cisco back. And do you know where these uniforms came from that they're wearing now in this in this uh, future? Well, it's it's from that TNG episode we you were just talking about, wasn't it? Yeah, all good things. Mm. I thought that was a nice touch that they yeah. brought that in. Yeah, because it's recognizable as a as a future uniform, not so different from what we would recognize as a Starfleet uniform, and yet it isn't at all something we would expect to see in our you know present time uh, episodes. What did you think about the acting of um, Bashir and Dax <laughs> in this? <laughs> I, I was thinking you pointed out how well Aaron Eisenberg did playing Nog as an adult um, and then the others in these scenes are kind of overdoing it in my <laughs> in my estimation <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> it's funny it's almost like it it flips um, you know Nog then becomes the serious character and uh, the the other two really have become the the comedic uh side yeah um, and, and unintentionally you know, i think <laughs> i think so although they they were teasing each other and stuff yeah. so there was a little bit of it there but uh yeah i think for the most part the um the humor in it is just in the sort of overacting <laughs> i mean they were trying to act as feeble as possible while still being able to like push the buttons and everything yeah so. <laughs> yeah. yeah i like some of the comments in there about you know i haven't worked a two-dimensional panel in i don't know how long and yet they're still using terms like mothballs which i'm sure like there would be so many people today who do not know what a real mothball is and yet that's still the term for pulling something out of storage well, Star Trek does that a lot. They will use these old-timey terms of reference that you wouldn't think that they would still use in the 24th century, but, you know. 
It was written in the 20th century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I no the the comment that um Bashir made about the 2D panels, that was interesting. Like so apparently Starfleet ships 50 years in the future have three dimension three dimensional controls. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming it's some sort of like hologram that you know they then manipulate as controls. Well, I think that's going to happen in Picard. Hmm. Does that happen in... Well, we don't know if that happens in Discovery. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously this is 50 years... This would be the 25th century where yeah. they are. But I think in Picard there is a very, very sh brief glimpse of whatever ship that he's going to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, where the captain of it basically takes the controls and it's like a three-dimensional thing where he waves his hand in the air hmm. um, to control the ship, sort of. So it's probably three-dimensional, kind of what Bashir was talking about. So yeah. it would be interesting to know if the writers of Picard picked up on stuff like that, that like Bashir's line, and said, mm. okay, well, that's what the future of Star Trek is, or if they were just making it up on their own. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. So anyway, um, what happens is they end up getting Cisco to reappear. Basically, what they're trying to do is recreate the original incident where um, Cisco was zapped with the wormhole inversion way back when on the Defiant. And so they're able to do that. And Cisco reappears, but they're not quite able to hang on to him. Yeah. And it looks it, like the Q continuum to me. Yeah, I think it's that sort of visual has kind of been used for several different things of where it's just sort of this nebulous place without form where, you know, you just kind of exist in there without really any structures or anything like that. I guess the um, designers on Star Trek just whenever they read something like that in the script, they're like, yep, yeah, let's just pull out the white room again. <laughs> I mean, we see it in in twice in TNG, at least twice hmm. in TNG in Q episodes. Okay, yeah. Where Q pulls Picard into, I guess, the continuum or some mysterious space outside of time and space. And it's just this white environment. So um, did Voyager ever use that? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. There are some times where, you know, a character is sort of, you know, existing in a different plane. And so they're on the ship, but nobody can see them or anything like that. And, and there are some instances of, you know, there's a, a bright light and they're, they're, you know, fighting whether they should go towards the light and, and that sort of thing. But I, there's not a time that's coming immediately to mind where it's that stark white just you know character in this room of light i don't know if you noticed but benjamin cisco was able to piece together what was going on in jake's life in about five seconds on this without jake telling him anything yeah so jake is is basically just acting like he's in distress he's not really communicating much to his father his, but Cisco is asking him a bunch of questions about like, did I did I have grandkids and all of this stuff? And Jake's just kind of saying, no, Karina and I broke up or whatever. And from just like a line like that, Cisco pieces together everything that Jake's been up to for the last fifty years without yeah, pretty, 
knowing what what was going on. Yeah, pretty much. So I guess the writers decided that they needed to wrap things up very quickly, and so they just decided <laughs> to let Ben Cisco be a telepath or something. Yeah, he he's just very good at putting two and two together. I guess. Yeah, that's why he's the captain. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so they're both in this subspace bubble or whatever, but Jake, again, I don't understand this. How did Jake go back, but Cisco didn't? I don't know. Um, the only thing that I could kind of assume is that whether it's because of Jake's communicator, they were able to lock on to him or just, he was easier to pull out because he wasn't as tied to that space i'm i'm not sure i did wonder that myself again two physics experts trying to figure this out (laughs) um so anyway jake ends up going back to real time cisco ends up getting stuck once again in subspace they were unsuccessful and so jake goes back home to his um house in louisiana and he basically is telling melanie the whole plan that he has at this point of of killing himself so that his father uh, can come back then basically takes his work that he's been working on for the Mm. past few months or whatever and Jake implies that he wants her to uh, publish it for him after he dies is that the implication that he's giving her or or somebody is going to publish it Um, I don't know whether he was I would think he'd be a little bit more direct if he meant for her to actually do it. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely sounded like, oh yeah, it's it's ready to be published, um, but I'm not going to be around when it happens. But he gives her the, the stuff. Yeah, he so... does give her a copy of it, but then he also still has other copies there. Um you know, the one that he shows his dad when he shows up and, and all that sort of thing. So I, I'm assuming that whether he has an agent or a publisher or whatever, maybe he has it, maybe he even has it uploaded in the computer and it's, it's you know, set to automatically send or something. I'm, I'm not sure on okay. that. Um, okay, I just got the impression that he was like basically passing on his work to her. Yeah. Uh, this aspiring writer or whatever. She was going to take over his yeah. stuff. I don't know. Um, again, a very strange thing to do to somebody you just met like four hours prior to that. But Well, and that obviously couldn't have been his original plan because he had no idea she was coming that night. So uh, he would have right. had to have something else set up. So either he assumed that, you know, once, you know, whoever found him or whatever realized he had died, you know, goes to his house and finds this unpublished work, whether that that would be published then or, um, like I say, maybe he had it set to automatically send to his publisher or something like that. I also kind of got the vibe that he wasn't going to publish it, that it wasn't until he had this conversation with her that he decided to let her deal with it. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, uh, she takes off with all of his work, basically, that he'd been working on. Yeah. Uh, a hard copy of it, too, um, with paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming Ty is 
Um, <laughs> How could you tell? I'm certainly there was sounds here. <laughs> certainly there was no creaking or crackling or you know rubbing sounds on my microphone or anything. Yeah. Um, so Melanie takes off and then Jake basically sits down in a chair and goes to sleep, has a nap. Um, I Mm. thought he was dying actually at this point, but no, he was just sleeping. Um, and he wakes up to this really creepy, um, Benjamin (laughs) Sisko just staring at him. (laughs) Uh, so Sisko's just sitting there with like his head in his hands, just watching Jake sleep. Yeah, and uh, Jake Jake wakes up, and this was just a really um, once again touching moment in this mm. episode, and uh, the idea that Jake was basically going to kill himself in order to save his father, and uh, I mean, obviously, it was for himself as well, so that his younger self could grow up with a father, yeah, and and everything, which I guess. Do you think it would make it easier to kill yourself if you knew that it was going to lead to a positive result in the end? Well, I think it would in the sense that I I think he might know that it would wipe out that timeline and all of that would just never have happened. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he probably has an understanding that if this goes to plan, um, he will never have experienced all of that time. So yeah, I mean, it's one of these times when Star Trek deals with a very difficult topic. um, And it's one that's been very prominent um, in the last several years, uh, and that of, of suicide. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, might have a difficult time with that in this episode and it's definitely something that needs to be talked about but yeah i i can understand why he did it in this instance do you think that he wasn't 100 percent sure it would work or do you think that's what gave him the courage is he knew that it would work because i would have been the person that would be like eh, it might work but there might be a chance that it doesn't well, and it may have been that he had finally come to a point where it's either going to work or I won't want to be here anymore if it doesn't work. Hmm. Um, so in e- either case, it would be a an end for him. Right. My one question in, in this scene and actually throughout the episode was we see him injecting himself with something at the very beginning. And then in this scene, we get the confirmation that, yes, that was, you know, some sort of chemical agent designed to to kill him. Um, I know where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) Probably do. How on earth does he know that that's then going to make him die at that exact moment when his dad is there and not before or after. Yeah, exactly. I actually had that written down as well. Like the timing (laughs) had to be, you had to know, first of all, when Cisco was going to show up. Yes. And he would have had to have, you know, some sort of medication or whatever it was 
that he knew if he took it at this time of night, it would kill him in exactly, you know, whatever it was, you know, well, seven well, hours or something. Why would you? Yeah, seven hours later. Why would you do that? I don't like, know. Why wouldn't you just take it? I mean, uh, usually that type of stuff takes like seconds to work. Yeah. And I, I'm the only thing I can come up with is he was e afraid that maybe if he tried to use something in the moment, his dad would stop him. So he had to do something ahead of time that couldn't well, be reversed. All he needed was a split second to like inject. Yeah. It. I mean, well, as, he didn't even have to tell his dad what it was. Well, and he wouldn't even have to like he could have had the thing in his pocket reached his hand in his pocket and like injected it into his leg without even pulling it out. Yeah. But, you know, so that it, it it is a weird question to me. <laughs> do do you think it's because we did see, we had like two or three times during the episode where he like faltered while he was mm. talking to Melanie, like he was having a hard time breathing or something like that. Yeah. And the writers needed that to um open up questions that Melanie was like, are you okay? Like what's going on? Mm. So that he would open up and tell her what was happening. It could be. Um, although you would think you could maybe do that with, you know, a moment of tears or falters in his speech because he's struggling with what he has to do or, or something like that. I mean, yeah. all the rules are off anyway in this whole, like, situation with Melanie. Because it doesn't make yeah. sense. Like, none of it does. So yeah. they could yeah, have just it, done whatever. <laughs> it is um, my main question in this episode is the whole timing of it. Okay, well, moving on to the very end of the of the episode. Um, Jake, uh, the whatever he took, poison, I don't know what it was, medication took over and killed him right when it was supposed to, right when uh, Cisco learned what was going on. And so Jake dies and they jump back to that moment on the Defiant right before the warp core zaps Cisco. Except this time Cisco heeds his son's warning and avoids it. Now, Cisco did not get emotional until the very end of this episode. I mean, he did so a little bit with older Jake when, you know, he mentions that he's uh, he's dying and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, but that's at the end of the episode. I'm, I'm saying, yes. like, for the whole, like, 95% rest of it, he he's very weirdly uh, okay with what's going on. Yeah, and the only thing I can think of is that's because, to him, this is all happening in, within the space of a, a couple of minutes. So he's not having these big chunks of time in between. And so, which to me would just blow my mind. But of course, him being the the Starfleet officer that he is and, and everything, he just kind of takes it in stride. <laughs> well, yeah, but after he shows up the first like two times, he sees Jake aging. Yeah. So he knows that time is passing even though he's not experiencing that. So you would think that that would make him more desperate to like get back or whatever, but he's when um, Jake takes him into the subspace bubble or whatever, mm. he's, he's not acting like he wants to leave. Yeah. At all. 
And then when he shows up watching Jake sleep, he's just so calm and cool and collected about it, mm. you know? And it's just like a 180 he does. Um, you would think that he would be more emotional earlier on in the episode about yeah. missing all of this stuff. Yeah, it's almost like he accepted his own fate already and was just pouring all of his emotion into Jake needs to live his life. Yeah. So that is that wraps up the episode of The Visitor. I will say that the one other thing that I had an issue with in this episode that I didn't mention before was Tony Todd, casting Tony Todd. Now, hmm. he was a very good actor in the role. Mm -hmm. I think he did a good job. But the problem was he looked nothing like Jake Sisko. And he sounded nothing like Jake Sisko. Hmm. And so I had, especially when he was playing him as a younger man. Um, yeah as like a 30 something year old i could maybe you know suspend my disbelief looking at him as a 90 year old and under all of that makeup yeah but it was really really hard when he was younger um he just looked nothing like jake and so it was really hard for me to like pretend that that was jake cisco I, I think he did well in some of his acting, like his actions and things kind of seemed more like Jake. But mm -hmm. yeah, visually, um, and definitely, as you say, in his voice is very different. I just got a little bo bit more wrapped up in, in the story and didn't really mind that they don't look much alike. Um, you know, there there are elements there, but not a... I mean, there are some times where they cast, you know, two people as, as different ages of the same character. And it's it's like, how did you find, like, are they brother and sister or like, are they, <laughs> Yeah, well, wouldn't be brother and sister, but you know what I mean? Like, are they actually related? Because it really looks like they are. Um, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have that with, with this particular casting. Um, it was just a little bit too different, I think. And... Tony Todd also played um, Kern. I, was it Kern that he played? Yeah. Uh, Worst brother. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like the, the casting was just being a little lazy on this one <laughs> and being like, eh, yeah, here's this guy that, yeah, we could probably pass him off as Jake, maybe. You know? Yeah. Uh, we know we're, we already worked with him. We know him. You know, it would be easier just to hire him to do this. So I, I don't know if it had if he hadn't been Jake Cisco if he had just been playing another character it would have been fantastic you know it's oh, yeah. just I just had that that issue it's the same issue I had in Nemesis with um, Shinzon trying to be Picard like they mm. don't really look that much alike honestly yeah so yeah I will say that. Um, the old age makeup on Tony Todd, I thought was more successful than the old age makeup on like Dax and Bashir. And oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like it took me a second to figure out, okay, is Tony Todd actually older? And the, the makeup is him as a younger man or he's the, the younger age and the makeup is, is the older man. Yeah. His makeup was pretty thick though. I mean, yeah. it looks like he like his cheeks were not moving, you no. know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Bashir, how old do you think Bashir was in that? I have no idea. I mean, he should have been Close younger 80, than that. 80s. Yeah, 
But I mean, because he's not that many years older than Jake in general, like in the the original timeline. Well, he's probably um, in his 20s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like he's not that many years. And yet they they almost put him in the same age scale as Dax rather than putting him in the same age scale as Jake. Dax said that that Bashir was telling her stories about his kids' science fair or something like yeah. that. Like, how old are his kids? Yeah, I know. Well, and that was one thing I kind of picked up on with um, Jake as well was, uh, you know, uh, Ben Sisko asks him, you know, do I have grandkids yet? And at this point, he's in his 40s and, you know, he's been married for seven years and they they haven't had kids you know but sounds like they're kind of planning on it um so obviously some people because people are living these longer lives um they're allowing themselves to to put off having kids if they want to and and that sort of thing um was my kind of uh, gist of that, which I just thought was kind of interesting because we kind of see that happening today. You know, it used to be if you didn't have kids in your 20s, then, you know, it was getting, time's getting short, you know. Um, whereas now we're seeing more and more people having kids in their mid to late 30s, even into early 40s. Well, um, you know, Riker and Troy have kid, uh, or at least a kid, in mm-hmm. the new Picard show, and we know that they got married later in life. So, yeah, uh, I'm assuming that they it was a biological kid and not adopted. But I don't yeah, know. I assume so. Um, yeah, but Bashir's like really old though. <laughs> He's not in his 40s. He's like no 80 something. Well, no, yeah. Uh, in that sort of let me see. So it said Jake was 47 when he went back to school. So then, you know, he did his undergrad and and graduate program and his doctorate. Um, So, and it says, you know, 14 years. um, I don't know whether that was, I think that was 14 years between Jake going back to school and them doing the experiment on the Defiant. So that would make him, you know, maybe in his 60s. Dax and Bashir are like way older than they should be. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't think they did the math on that at the makeup department. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean the- Nog is acting like an adult, you know. I yeah. mean, yeah, they they gave him some, you know, older Ferengi make- makeup, but he's acting like a, you know, an athletic adult. Um Jake, he just has a little bit of gray in his hair, but other than that, he looks, you know, pretty normal. And then you've got Bashir and Dax who are tottering around like they're 80. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I guess that's the visitor. I don't really have anything else to say about it. We've been rambling on about it for a long time. So, yes. Yeah, no, it was definitely an extremely good episode. I mean, yes, we poked some fun at some of the, you know, plot devices and things like that, but it is an incredible, um, strong message about human life and what it means to be 
a person and to um to live life um to its fullest so we want to hear from you guys what you guys thought about this episode um let us know on our social media the links are in the description below but aaron's going to give them to you also right now and you might have some also some feedback some people have written in a couple of things right yeah so um we do have um all kinds of social media out there for you to interact with us um you can find us on facebook we are the tribbles and transporters page um also on twitter we are uh, tribbles podcast and then instagram we are tribbles and transporters podcast um, and we do have our gmail which is tribbles and transporters at gmail.com so we do have a couple of interactions here from our Twitter, uh, again, from uh, Michael, who has been uh, a big help in helping me figure out some of the convoluted uh, timelines of Star Trek. Um, and he has also um, been very good about uh, commenting to us about some of the, um, the episodes. So um, we got talking about... Um, different pieces of music and and when we played the a piece of music from first contact he said it's his favorite trek movie and its main theme is his favorite music in the whole of star trek uh, he saw it on the big screen in 1996 and was deeply moved from the moment those opening credits began it's music that for me expresses the utopian future of star trek and like sarah i'm sometimes moved to tears by it <clears throat> which ties into the subject of your episode when Lily and Picard say goodbye and she says to you, I envy you the world you're going to. Um, and then we had asked at the end um, with the, the two different captains of the original Enterprise, which is your favorite, Kirk or Pike. Um, and he says that he does prefer Kirk to Pike, but he loves Pike in season two of Discovery. He says Anson Mount is brilliant and brings so much war warmth, decency, integrity, humor, and courage to the character. Uh, and then also over on Twitter, uh, Ian Davies said that he listened to our episode and uh, said that uh, Enterprise does come across totally different today than it did 18 years ago. It deserves a lot more love than it gets. And uh, I agreed with that. Yeah. Well, we've got another uh, Enterprise episode coming up before too long here. So yeah, looking forward exactly. to watching that again. And we don't know what episode we're going to watch. That's right. Um, we're we're going to be choosing them at random. Um, the only exception to that will be if we choose a, um, a topic uh, to kind of focus on um, episodes that come from each series that cover that topic. Or in the case of our uh, upcoming um, Picard episode and Voyager episode, we're going to be uh, covering the pilots of those. It'll probably throw us into the middle of like season three and we'll have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I did worry about that a little bit with Enterprise because um, from some friends of mine who um, did watch more of it than I do, uh, I do understand there are some some story arcs that we mm -hmm. may get a little confused on. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't do that with Enterprise. Yeah, it might be better where we've not seen it to... Um, to not do random on, on enterprise. Um, mm -hmm. the main reason we decided to do the randomization was for, um, 
the longer running series where you know it would take us so long to get into some of these later uh, seasons but where enterprise is basically new to us and uh you know we're we're not going oh yeah we got to get to that season i love this episode um it might be better to to do it in a more linear fashion yeah now that we're talking about it i think we should probably do enterprise in order because mm. we haven't seen that one i mean i've seen enough of voyager and um, deep space nine that i feel like i could jump in the middle of it and have some idea of what's going on but yeah um enterprise i'm just clueless about so Hmm. next time we'll be doing picard and then following that up with voyager and we do have another um announcement that we're going to be making um on social media probably in the next week or two so keep an eye on that Mm -hmm. and um thanks guys for listening subscribe in itunes leave us a rating and uh feedback there that would be much appreciated and uh, i guess we'll uh, see you guys next time Okay, bye-bye. Bye.